Welcome to Classic 4x4, the podcast for and by classic four-wheel drive enthusiasts. I'm your host, Chris Piccone, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram at classic4x4podcast. And you can follow my trials, tribulations, and antics of collecting and restoring classic four-wheel drives at Overland by the Sea. When you like really put everything you had into like making this thing run and bringing it together and then, then having these experiences, that all comes back. I mean, they become a part of the family. Well, we've been very fortunate at Classic 4x4 Podcast to have some epic fabricators and builders uh, in past seasons and even this season two. But in season one, we had you know Charlie Pitcher, who a lot of you know uh, was one of our launch episodes, who talked about how he builds those absolutely insane classic Dodge pickups. We had Dan Hayes uh, from Binder Boneyard, who builds, I mean, beautiful, beautiful scouts. But today we have the pleasure of having an icon on the Classic 4x4 podcast. What I would consider the most iconic designer, fabricator, and builder out there. Today joining us is Rob Ida. What's up, Rob? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. So for those of you that uh, that don't know Rob, Rob is actually a hot rod builder. We're going to, and right, right about now, our guests are probably scratching their heads saying, why is the classic 4x4 podcast have a iconic hot rod builder on? And the reason is a lot of people don't realize that hot rods and classic four-wheel drives share a lot of the same roots. And those roots really revolve around the Willys Overland brand. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast. But if you don't follow Rob on the social channels and Instagram, you got to check out his builds. It's Rob underscore Ida. Also, his shop, Rob Ida Concepts, basically builds some of the most amazing hot rods ever to have rubber hit the ground. And you can check them out online. That's robidaconcepts.com. And also, while you're adding some different channels or accounts to your uh, Instagram, add Asbury Park Circuit on there too. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. So let's get started. And and Rob, I was doing a little uh, research for this podcast today. I came to learn that your family actually owned a Tucker dealership at one point. It's true. Yeah. In uh, 1947, my grandfather, um, he kind of read about this this new car that was coming out, this, this new idea. Um, and you, you almost have to think of like Tesla, but back then, right? So it was a car that was completely different. Manufacturing was different. Um, the ideas for marketing the car was different. The car itself had, had all these new advancements. And um, so Preston Tucker designed this car. It was a rear engine sedan, performance-minded, safety-minded, um, and also very stylish. And was going to bring this car to market. And uh, he was doing this very, very quickly. So for him to develop a car, he had to develop not only a prototype, but then a factory in which to produce the car. He needed to uh, generate money quickly. So what he did was he signed up dealerships before there was actually a car to sell. So my grandfather was one of these uh, dealers. He, he, he bought a dealership in Yonkers, New York. And um, he had a storefront and he had signage and he had accessories like luggage and ashtrays and seat covers and all the things that uh, the accessory program for Tucker had in mind, but no cars. And what they what they did was they sent a couple of prototype cars um, to make appearances at these dealerships. So they weren't actually for sale, but they were there for people to see. So he had this dealership and um, I think that he was officially open for business for only a couple of days and he wrote up a lot of orders, you know, things that were looking really good for the sales of the Tucker cars. Um, but unfortunately, Tucker got tangled up in some uh, lawsuits and investigations. And um, basically, by, by the time he fought his way out of that stuff, um, he was bankrupt. You know, there was just not enough money to fight the fight and build a car and in a short amount of time. So it killed the the um, the, the, the car factory. And with that the government seized all the assets from Tucker and put them up on the auction block. And um, so my grandfather went to that auction in uh, in Chicago where they were making the cars. And unfortunately, just didn't have enough money to even buy a Tucker 
back then because they were just were always collectible. So they made 50 of these cars. Um, and uh, one of them I have here in my shop now, it's being restored. And it was actually um, owned by Preston Tucker himself. So after the, the factory was closed and the government was auctioning off the assets, including the cars, Preston Tucker himself went to this auction and purchased this car, which I have in my shop now that we're restoring. So that, that's kind of how the Ida family got involved, not only in Tuckers, but in cars. That was the first entry to the car world for us, car industry. And so after the Tucker thing closed up, then, um, you know, we kind of stayed in the, in the car industry in a variety of ways uh, over the years. That's neat. So, you know, a lot of people say that they have oil and gas running through their veins, you know, that, that old adage, but you just have it in, ingrained in your DNA. At, at this point. Yeah, so, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know anything else. So I have to make that work. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, I mean, you have a cool story. So how do you go from that cool family heritage, right? That unique story to literally opening up and having one of the premier, you know, hot rod shops in the country, Rabbi to concepts, like connect us from, you know, being a little kid with this passion to, wow, I have this amazing fully staffed, design, fabricate, build shop? Well, it's a slow evolution, right? So none of it happened uh, overnight. And, it, and it, it kind of continued on since the Tucker dealership. So my grandfather had the, the dealership um, in Yonkers. And then after it closed up, he opened up a general repair shop in Brooklyn. And that's where he lived. And that's where my father was raised. Um, and he worked with him in the repair shop. So now they have this corner gas station in Brooklyn and both of them were pretty creative guys. So they started making uh, trailers, almost like U-Haul or, or rider where you can rent this, this trailer. And so they would build their own trailers, have them for rent. And, you know, they kind of ran a business repairing cars, making these trailers. But in the back, my father was building a hot rod gasser. You know, and, and this this being one of them here, this Austin Healy that I'm sitting next to. Um, so he was in the gasser wars and which, as we know, was a was a big Willys thing. Right. So Willys, you know, as as four wheel drive trucks, I know them as as uh, race cars, you know, four thirty three 33 to 41 Willys gassers were the hottest thing. So my father built one in, in 1967. I think it was 1966 or seven that, that he built his Willys gasser. And he ran double B gas, supercharged, ran over here in English town and, and tracks, local tracks. And, um, and he, he was real successful with that. He had, he had a, a supercharged 409 and uh, we believe it was the world's fastest 409 at the time. And, um, so from there, you know, he just kind of always had either a race car or a hot rod going on in his life and moved to New Jersey Got out of Brooklyn, moved to New Jersey. He opened up a repair shop here where uh, where I grew up. I grew up kind of, you know, that was my playground. I did. I wasn't on Little League. I went and hung out in the shop. That's so cool. where he was fixing cars during the day to earn a living. At night, we would be building a hot rod as a hobby. And, you know, that's how we spent our weekends together. And that's how we spent our nights on these father and son projects that we would build. And um, when I was seven years old, I remember opening up a scrapbook and I remember like it was yesterday. I'm 50 now. And I remember like it was yesterday opening the scrapbook and seeing actually this car, this Austin Healey. And there was a picture of it doing a wheel stand and it's got a blown Hemi hanging out of the, <laughs> out of the hood and the car's doing a wheel stand. And the moment I saw that, I realized I don't care about anything else other than hot rods. That's the only thing I cared about cars and hot rods. That's the only thing I wanted to know about. So, uh, we, we just kind of got an education of, of building cars and, and, uh, and keeping up with, with new uh, technology. You know, we, we, we love old gassers. We love old vintage hot rods, but we also love the most modern things, too. Um, so we, we try to keep our eyes open, you know, across the whole, the whole platform of, of what's going on out there. Um, and uh, in 1990, when I was graduating high school, there was a decision to be made, to be made. You know, what am I going to do now? Am I going to, am I going to go uh, get a real job or am I going to keep doing the hot rod thing? And um, so I kept doing the hot rod thing and I so far haven't had to get a real job. So uh, that's been, uh, that's been how we've been doing it together for all these years. And 
So three generations, we figure, is is kind of what brought us to this point. Now, is your shop um, in the same place where your dad's shop was? Uh, it's just down the street from where the repair shop was when, when I grew up. Yeah, it's not far. Half a mile. That's pretty good. And is, is your dad still active in the shop? Yeah, he is. He's uh, uh, 77 and mm-hmm. he's still as cool as ever and, and as active as ever. He still has hot rods. And right now he's all caught up in his new car. He's got a uh, the new Ford GT. And uh, maybe he takes that to the track and he races that car. And uh, so, yeah, he's super involved and, and as cool as ever. But day-to-day deal with the the customers, the clients, their custom and bespoke builds. That's your world, right? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to these days. He's He, he, he picks and chooses a couple of projects that he wants to get involved in here and there. Um, but he likes to enjoy his time doing you know things that, that are uh, all automotive-related, but more for him. That's awesome. Hey, yeah. Uh, don't we all wish we can get to that point in our lives where we just yep. do what we want to do? That's it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah he's got to figure it out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. You've done, you know, some four-wheel drive projects, which I'm sure people are surprised to even hear that. But before we even get into that, you know, there are the hot rod culture and four by classic four by four culture really sprouted from the same roots, which was Willie's Overland, right? We all think of Willie's Overland being the large, at the time, the largest mass producer of four four by four vehicles, bringing four by fours really to the civilian world with the CJs. But a lot of people don't realize that Willie's made cars and those cars post-World War II became like the platforms for some of them you know, really for what hot rod culture came out of. So, you know, kind of talk to us about those early willies. You know, how did they really become, I guess, the the centerpiece of, of hot rod culture for hot rod builders? And that's one of the things you probably build the most of still to this day, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, I, I, know I grew up on them. Mm-hmm. So that is my favorite vehicle. Like, like to me, a, a Willie's pickup, a 41 Willie's pickup is the ultimate vehicle for me. Um, nobody could fit in them. They don't make any sense any other way, but I just <laughs> love the way they look because that's what I grew up on. Um, but before Willie's made these 33 of the 41 coupes that people love to build hot rods out of or race cars out of, they they were in the luxury car market. So Willie's, were making, Willie's Knight was making these big luxury expensive cars. And at the time, there, were, there was lots of competition. There were a lot of car manufacturers making cars in that market. So they started to fall off a bit and they realized that maybe the luxury car market isn't really where they should be. They should develop an inexpensive car. So they come out with the 33 Willys Coupe um, and sedan. It was called the Model 77. It had a flathead four-cylinder in it and it was really little, tiny, lightweight car, um, crude, you know, kind of the the, the uh, quality, build quality of like a Jeep, you know, and they were they were... It was, a, it was a passenger car, but it was it was rough. You know, they were um, thin and light and simple. So after they hit the junkyards and nobody cared about them, sometime in the 60s, maybe it was Stonewoods and Cook or Big John Masmanian or one of those guys realized that this is a cool car to race because it's so small. It's much smaller than a Ford or a Chevy, very light. And um, you could put a gigantic engine in there and have a little car to drag down the track. Um so all of a sudden, they became the hottest thing in the world. And my father remembers, he's, he's told me the story about when he was looking for one. And all of a sudden, everybody had to have a Willys. And it was like overnight. And my grandfather was like, wait a minute, a Willys? Like, Nobody wants that. Like, that was garbage. We, we threw all those cars away. Nobody <laughs> wants that. And you're looking, you're looking for that. So anyway, they went and, and, and they found one. And, and um, they were able to build a you know, a competitive drag race car out of, out of junkyard parts, you know, I mean, it was a junkyard chassis from the thirties and forties with simple upgrades and a gigantic motor. And it was like a very competitive race car. And before funny cars were were the thing, these were like the fastest and and most exciting drag race cars to watch. Um, And it was, you know, it was kind of short lived. And then they were, they were replaced by better cars, cars that were lower, uh, more purpose built, um, but for some reason, the look of that gasser, that Willie's gasser, just stuck in everybody's mind, and it, and it's just such a classic. Um, and I don't think they'll ever become, you know, unpopular because now they're they're collectible and they're loved. People are recreating them. People are restoring old old uh, famous race cars, and um, 
you almost can't find a stock one. I, I had a, a beautiful stock 42 Williams Coupe a couple of years ago. It was like an untouched, perfect car. Um, and I enjoyed having it for a year or two because it was a novelty to see one that's, that doesn't have a blown Hemi in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, I realized, like, what else am I going to do with this thing? I'm yeah. putting around town with you know these crappy brakes and no power. Um, so eventually I sold it to another collector who's, you know, got it in his, in his showroom. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what these cars are for me is they're just an icon. Um, and then like in the, in the, in the later years, they became a popular street route as well. So that meant low and air conditioning and fuel injected engines and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, that name for it's not a household name, right? A lot of mm-hmm. people don't know what Willys is, but car people do for so many reasons. Whether it's a truck or a Jeep or a hot rod, and that's what people know them as is when people you talk yeah. about Willys, they think, oh, Willys Overland, like you know the the Jeepsters and all this, and that's what people think of. They don't think of the the sedans and the coupes that yeah. really were the the core of hot rodders and, and that yeah. culture. That's super neat. You know, I forgot to ask you actually the most important question that I ask everybody that comes on the Classic Four by Four podcast, which is, what was your first car? It's funny you ask because it is a Willys. Uh-huh. Um, so when, uh, when I was seven years old, my father and I decided, okay, we want to build a Willys. And we had a friend who had a Willys pickup laying out in a field. It was an old gasser. And it was one of these things that he was going to get to one day. Um, and it's not for sale. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're still, we're still great friends. And I was seven years old at the time. It was shortly after I saw the, the scrapbook with this Healy in there, decided this is what we have to have. Um, so I begged him to sell it to us and he said, all right, I'm going to sell it to you because you guys are going to build it, you know, and, and, uh, it'll be a cool father and son project. So he did, he sold it to us and we, and we built it together. And of course I was seven years old, so I didn't do a lot of actual hands-on. I did what I could and I learned a lot and, um, and we built the truck and we had, it was just such an experience. And, you know, if anybody ever thinks that taking on a project like, like that is, is a waste of time. Um, I beg to differ because taking on a project like that is something that can stick with you for a lifetime. And if you share it with someone else, uh, it really is, is an amazing thing. And, uh, you can learn so much and you could, it's very rewarding. Um, building a car is, is not easy. There's, you know, it's 90% defeat, but that 10% win is, is what we live for, you know? And, uh, so we got through all that stuff and then we built another one. Now I was going to build my own car. So I was around 11 years old and I was given um, the opportunity to put together the 65 Pontiac. So I started to put that together and I made it run. I put the engine together myself. Um, you know, I was 11, so I needed help lifting up the cylinder heads and stuff like that. But I was able to work it out and I got the thing to run um, and uh, sold that and eventually bought my own Willys pickup. I was 14 and started with a roof and a back wall of a, of a cab. So no <laughs> chassis, no doors, no door post, no dashboard, nothing. It was the, the roof top and the back wall of the cab is all there was. Um, so from that, be, that was, that was my real education on how to do everything that you need to do to build a car. So um, I pieced together other sections of a sedan cab and I made it a cab out of these parts uh, I went to the um, junkyard and I got a Toyota pickup from the, from the, I guess from the eighties. Um, and I took the body off the chassis, took the engine out and I used the frame rails from this Toyota pickup truck <laughs> under the cab of this Willys pickup. And I saved up my money. And, and that was another part of the learning process. I learned how to earn money while I'm building this truck. So that meant doing jobs on other cars or flipping cars or whatever it took to earn some money. Um, so I could buy the next piece. And I remember how much every part cost on that first build is when you're working from the age of 14 to the age of 17, every penny matters. And I can tell you how much every, every nut and bolt costs on that thing. Um, so I, I got this truck together between the age of 14 and 17, New Jersey, you get your driver's license at 17. And, um, I was driving it to high school and I met, Brenda, who's now my wife, um, we've been married for 25 years. Uh, we met 32 years ago in high school and we went, went on our very first date in that Willie's pickup. So awesome. we were driving Willie's pickup. It was a 
it was a beautiful day and, and, um, and I picked her up in this hot rod and that was my, you know, that was my car and that's what I drove to school. And, uh, so I had the truck in my life for, you know, a few years and then eventually we were going to get married. And if so we decided we're going to get married and buy a house, I need to earn some money. I need to raise some money, um, buy a house and then, and, and raise a family. So I sold a couple of cars and a Willie's truck being one of them. Um, and it was on a magazine cover and, and it won awards and it was like, you know, a pretty known vehicle. Um, even though it was built by a 14 year old, it was, <laughs> it was a pretty known car. And, uh, and you know, it had lots of quirks, you know, as all hot rods have some quirks, this one had a lot of quirks. Um, so I sold it to a, a local guy who owned it for a few years. And then eventually he sold it and, and I kind of lost track of it. It was gone. Um, so it was gone like 20, I guess it was gone 25 years, I think. Yeah, it was gone 25 years. And um, I was contacted by a woman in Pennsylvania, and she said that her husband recently passed away, but he was the current owner of, of the Willys truck. And he instructed her, once he's gone, to find me, to find Rob Ida, he'll buy it. That's awesome. And when did you actually re- buy it back? I, I guess it was about four years ago now, I feel like. And, um, and I got it back and it's exactly the same as when I built, I mean, it looks the same. They, they maintained it here and there, but they Mm -hmm. didn't change it at all. It looks the same, same motor, same interior. Yeah. Yeah. I did the upholstery myself and Mm -hmm. it's still in there and I painted it myself. I think some areas have been repainted, you know, for maintenance or whatever. Um, but it looks the same, you know, and, and, and I get in it and it's like a time machine. I get in there and I feel like I'm, you know, 15 years old again. And, um, so, you know, obviously that's a keeper. I'm going to be keeping that one. Uh, when you picked that truck up, though, and you brought it home, what was your wife's reaction? She couldn't believe the fact that this thing is still around. You know, <laughs> we have all these memories uh-huh. from like a lifetime ago. Like we uh-huh. were babies. You know, we were driving this thing around at 17 years old. Like we were babies. And um, now we have kids who are having babies. You know, like, it, like a whole <laughs> lifetime went by. And, uh, and, and now it's back. So, you know, we did the, the first thing we did was we drove it to pick up our family Christmas tree. And um, so, you know, we're, the thing is tiny. It's a 41 <laughs> you're jammed up in there, steering wheels up in your in your chin. And uh, and my wife's so sweet. She's like, oh, it's so comfortable in here. I'm like, no, it's not. No. <laughs> I, I, I know it's not, but I appreciate it. And uh, so we drove it and we got our family Christmas tree. And once in a while, I'll take it out. I took it to the circuit. Uh, in Asbury Park last year, I cleaned it up a little bit. I drove it there. That was a lot of fun. I had a great yeah. time. That's probably on the podcast out of everybody we've interviewed. That's by far the best first car story is, yeah. and, and how it came back. There's actually, there, there are a couple other guests where we've had that have found their first cars and actually bought them back or their family's first Jeep uh, yeah. and they, they've bought them back. But that, that is super. They become a part of the family. I mean, it's, it's, oh. it's especially when you put that much of yourself into it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's one that you purchased and, and had it for a short time and sold it, yeah, you love it. But when you like really put everything you had into like making this thing run and bringing it together and then, then having these experiences, like her and I, we drove it not only to high school and on dates, but we took it, like we drove it down to Florida, you know, when we were babies and we, we drove it down there and we, we did all these different things with it. And it all comes back, you know, like that's just part of it. And, uh, that's part of the the memories, yeah. the culture. Yeah. That, that that is super cool. And, and when I was in it, when I was building this thing, um, you know, for me it was this gigantic undertaking that I'm gonna do one step at a time. Like, do I know how to wire a car? Well, I'm 14. I you know I know how to wire a radio, but now I'm gonna wire a car and I'm gonna learn how to do it. And I did it, and it's it still works. Um, so when I think about how much I learned, looking back on it. You know, it was that was a real education. You know, I learned how to deal with adults and I learned how to deal with earning money and 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 putting something together, taking care of it, um, machining, painting, plumbing, wiring, fabrication, welding, design. You know, all these things are, are uh, you know, a lesson one at a time and then taking a trip, you know, at, the, at that age to take a trip that, you know, is all the way down the coast in this old car. You know, you got to have your you know, your wits about you to, to get it done and, and be safe and, and, and get there in one piece. Um, 
not get arrested. You know, like all, all of these things are, are factors. And now when I look back, I realize how much, how much I, I learned from that time. And, and I've just continued to really hone those skills because I'm still doing the same thing. I'm just trying to do them better. Better. Yeah. That's all. You know, I mean, you, you build some of the absolute, most insane hot rods that you know that has graced this god's green earth right you've done some cool classic four-wheel drives i know you did a 57 suburban which was i guess you call it a resto mod or like a a modern classic you know i don't know how you explain it but walk us through that build because that involved putting together a 57 suburban and a modern Tahoe chassis, I think. So kind of Correct. walk us through that client build. That that yeah, is pretty neat. That was that was a, a, a different project for us. Um we had a customer who unfortunately his wife had MS and she was no longer to get in and out of his cars. So he had a nice car collection, but they weren't really using them anymore because of her disability. Um, but they missed that. You know, they missed going to car events and seeing their friends and, you know, doing things that, that we get to enjoy in the car culture. And, um, it's not always about the car, you know, it's a lot about the people and the culture. Um, so he said, you know, I need to build something that she can be comfortable in. She could be safe. Uh, she can transfer from the wheelchair into the vehicle. Um, and, and it cannot break down. You know, one of the, one of the big challenges with a hot rod is that, well, you might not get home in one piece. You know, <laughs> there might be a flatbed, maybe. You know, I, I, I might be under the car on the side of the road with, with, with wrenches and a, and a rock. You know, who knows? <laughs> but he can't have that because with her condition, she needs to be able to, you know, get home um, reliably. So we thought about how we're going to do this. And, you know, these days you can buy LS engines that are so put together and engineered well. But in the end, you're still kind of piecing together a lot of things that could fail. Um, and we said, well, what if we just kind of reskin a new truck? Cause that's what you're looking for, right? You're looking for the reliability of, of, a, of a new Tahoe, which he happened to own. He happened to own this late model Tahoe, um, that he loved. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to hand the keys over to your Tahoe and we're going to, you're going to go buy a new vehicle for every day. And we're going to take this Tahoe and we're going to strip the body off it and adapt this 57 body on it. And, and I'm not talking about just the frame rails. I'm talking about a complete running vehicle. So imagine if you took a Tahoe, skinned the body off, but left the dashboard, left the seats, the floor pan, uh, all the wiring, brake lines. We didn't even crack a brake line. Uh, Two-zone climate control. All these things are still intact. Everything is there. Runs and drives with seats, but no body. And then we do the opposite on the 57, and we kind of carve that body off the old carcass and we made the two together. So what we had was a wider wheel track um, and a little bit different of a wheelbase, mm-hmm. which uh, wasn't much. I think it was about an inch or something. Um, so we adjusted the body. We made kind of a wide body package that was integrated nicely into the, into the body. It didn't look like a, an add-on. It looked like mm-hmm. it was made that way. So we restyled the body to fit that wheel track and now we have a four-wheel drive, uh, completely bulletproof truck, or as bulletproof as a new Tahoe is, you know. And uh, you could drive this 57 into the dealer, and they could plug into it and, you know, do all the diagnostics, and you could buy brake pads and do everything that you need to do right at the, at the dealership. Um, but look cool going down the road in a 57 Suburban. Now, where did you source the, the 57 Suburban body? Because those things are not easy to find. No, they're not. Um, he found the body. Uh, and I think he found it on eBay or something. Um, and it was from somewhere out West and he shipped it to us like that. And it was, it was a nice body to work with. Um, and, uh, we made one piece side windows, the passenger door. So her, her door opened conventionally, but then we made a door behind it that opened suicide. So the entire Ah. side of the truck was was wide open mm-hmm. and her seat then was was able to power out come down to the height of the wheelchair so she could transfer from the wheelchair into the passenger seat easily and then it powers her back in locks it down then the back of the truck opened up and lifted the wheelchair and 
parked it into a position in the back of the truck and the tailgate came down and it locked it in place and it was all hands-free. Um, so it was really integrated nicely into the, into the truck. So there was no monkeying around. You didn't have to lift the wheelchair. It was all taken care of. Um, nice and, and seamless operation. It was, it was a very cool project. Um, we, we made a billet version of the Cameo, 57 Cameo truck wheel. So it looked like those, like those hubcaps we made yeah. into a wheel. And, uh, and it was done, you know, really tastefully and, and cool. Uh, we painted it uh, steel city gray, which is kind of a greenish gray metallic color. And uh, yeah, awesome truck, awesome project. And uh, I would, With those suicide doors, though, what'd you do with the B-pillar? The B-pillar um, was now attached to the rear door. Okay. So you would open the, the, the main door first. Mm-hmm. And then the pillar would come out with the door. So now it's wide open. And then when you close the suicide door, there's the latch post to close the front door into. Wow. That, now that's some serious design and fabrication. Yeah, that is. And uh, so Bob Cuneo is a, um, uh, a fabricator uh, that we work with. And um, he engineered that, that system to work. Um, so it was, a, you know, it just, it was wide open and, and, and the whole thing really worked out so well because she was able to get in and feel safe and secure, you know, like, cause it was just so smooth and so nice. But yeah, having the whole side of that truck open was, was really slick. Is that just the passenger side did that or did the driver's side do it also? No, just the passenger side. That's yeah. wild, man. That that's a pretty cool build. I'm doing something similar now in the shop. It's a um, 70 Mercedes 600 Pullman limousine if that means anything to you that yeah. car untouched original is not an inexpensive vehicle what does right. rob i do when he gets his hands on this yeah <laughs> so this was i'm told this was owned by the uh, dictator of romania mm-hmm. and um so now it, the car's here in the states and you know it it's an intimidating looking vehicle when you see this thing you figure there's a dictator that's you know about to step out <laughs> it looks that way and um what we're going to do with it, right? When it came to me, it was kind of set up for, um, you know, the the dictator sat in the back seat, mm-hmm. and then his staff sat in the row in front of him. But everybody was faced forward, so it was real, you know, business. It was all business. When he looked at this thing, it was serious. The current owner wants to have more of a luxurious interior where him and his guests can face each other and have a conversation, and you know. Be comfortable like you would be in a in a party limousine, not going to a serious meeting. Um, so we are redesigning the entire interior and also adding a suicide door because it's a six door limousine. So all doors open from the front, you know, mm-hmm. conventional. So we're going to make the rear door a suicide, and then the second door will open uh, conventionally. So the entire center of the vehicle will be wide open, so you can enter and exit easily um then you know without having to climb over seats or anything like that so we're, we're about to do that project now it's in my shop it's slammed down on the ground um we're uh we're, we're we've we've scanned the entire interior digitally mm-hmm. and we're engineering a um a, a new interior with automated parts so there'll be like a table that comes down from the ceiling and you know moving seats and all these kind of things that'll be engineered on cad which, which we're doing in-house with uh, Reversion Raceworks, um, where we can do CAD design work, 3D printing, so we can manufacture all these parts in-house, whether it's machined or printed or fabricated by hand. Um, all of these things happen now on CAD first. That is super cool. Now, at what point are you going to just drop this thing and meld this Pullman, Mercedes-Benz Pullman body onto a G63 AMG chassis, right? <laughs> we talked about it. We talked about it. We, we talked about did. that as... As an option, um, <laughs> but I don't think we're going to cut the car up quite that much. So um, we, uh, I think we're going to leave it on the chassis that it's up. <laughs> that is super. That is super cool, man. I mean, there are you know talking about your builds. Uh, it, it's interesting with classic four wheel drive enthusiasts. You know, classic four wheel drive enthusiasts always have a soft spot for VWs. I don't know what it is. There's a lot of great VW collectors out there that also collect classic four wheel drives. Like our common friend who, you know, uh, Grayson McGill, who has probably one of the craziest VW bus collections out there, is also like a huge Jeep guy. Loves scramblers, CJ5s, CJ7s. 
you just built a panel VW bus for the Del Ponte family, which yeah. I have, was very fortunate to put eyes on. And I'm going to give our, our listeners a little background. There's a local family, also Jersey Shore guys like Rob and I, who uh, actually the town in between where Rob lives and where I live is Bradley Beach, New Jersey. And the Del Ponte family own like a corner of a block. They have Del Ponte's restaurant, the bakery right on the corner. Then they have the uh, the cafe and gelato right up Maine a little bit. So they uh, love cars. They're big into cars. They have, you know, a massive collection. And you built them a panel VW bus for the bakery. Like, where did this idea come from and how did it come to fruition? <laughs> if, you know, finding a, a, a panel bus, you know, in itself is, is not easy, right? Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're getting hard to come by, especially one that's not all bashed up. Yeah. You know, this thing is pretty nice. Um, so I purchased that bus first and, um, I was putting it together for my daughter who is a, a baker. Um, and she was thinking that she wanted to, you know, start her own brand and she was going to build this, this brand of, of, uh, cupcakes and, and custom cakes. And then she went to work for the Del Ponte's. And because Del Ponte's oh, okay. are, are friends of ours, but uh, mm-hmm. they're also um, our favorite bakery, right? So <laughs> when we think of bakery, we think of Del Ponte's. By the way, they're everybody's favorite bakery. I yeah, will be the yeah, first yeah. one to admit I have a little problem. They make yeah. these almond paste cookies that are yes. filled with cannoli cream. The edges are dipped in chocolate. I I don't want to admit it, but I will admit it. I eat them weekly. They're yeah. insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, that place is is a problem because I go to their pizza place and mm-hmm. I just can't stop eating the pizza because Pasquale does that that coal fired pizza, which is fantastic. And then after that, you have to go over to Vinny's Bakery and, and get dessert and yeah. you know finish it off with a cappuccino next door. But um, yeah, those guys those guys are amazing. So they've been customers of mine for a long time, and um, I'm building them a '57 Cadillac right now that's just over the top it's in the shop uh it's over the top um but anyway i had that bus and um so she started working for the del ponte's and then we realized you know what the del ponte's really need this bus because it would look so good out in front of their store you know because they have just like such a classic italian looking you know corner on, on on bradley beach and that and that those neon lights and everything that they have would be the perfect backdrop for this bus um so at the time it was, it was painted. It was blue and white already. And then we just needed to uh, get their artwork on there. So we worked with hot rod Jen and we designed, you know, a good um, logo for that, that not only fit the brand, but fit the bus. And she hand painted it on there. And, uh, and one thing that really surprised me about that, because Pasquale, you know, he's got an unbelievable collection of cars and uh, I couldn't believe how much he was driving the VW bus. He's like, oh, I'm driving it all the time. I love it. I'm like, really? I'm like, with all these cars you own, really, you love driving the bus? He goes, yeah. He goes, there's something about it. And, and he was never an air-cooled guy. Like, he was never really into into early Porsches or VWs or anything. Uh, Vinny, Vinny was. Vinny had, you know, kind of a history with with, uh, with air-cooled stuff, so he wanted it. But Pasquale, he really had no interest in it. And then once he, he got it, he was like, oh, this is like... It's a lot of fun because I can't explain it, but it's, it's a lot of fun. So I was happy to see that he drives it a lot. And in a nice weather, you see that in front of the bakery. I didn't know this thing existed because nobody had posted it on social media or anything. It wasn't out there. Yeah. Um, it was before you had posted it, before Hot Rod Jen had posted it. And I, of course, was getting my craving with my my almond paste cookies, cannoli yeah. filled almond paste cookies <laughs> one night. And they had it parked right outside the, the restaurant, actually, not the bakery. <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, where? This thing is impeccable. Like, what, yeah. like who built this thing, right? Because we're all local. We all kind of know each other in the end. Yeah, like, yeah. And you can't build something like that without somebody knowing about it, right? Yeah, you know, right. like, <laughs> you know, especially with the Del Ponte's, we use a lot of the, you know, our, our, the guys that do some of our interiors on our collection, the same guys that do my interiors, right? right. So I see their stuff. They see my stuff at the interior shop, at the upholstery shop, like stuff. And like, where did this thing come from? And I get close and I look at like, the graphics on the side, which I think at the time graphics, right? Cause they're that impeccable. And I touch it. And I realized this is hand painted. Yeah. Wow. This is like, and Rob, I'll give you, I mean, the build is amazing. Don't get me wrong. The build is yeah. impeccable. It's amazing. But the real showstopper for that is by far the hand painted logo oh, on the side. Sure, I yeah. mean, yeah. Hara Jun is, I mean, she is talented, talented in her own right, but yeah. on that specific build, it wasn't small. 
Yeah. It was big. It was, it was pretty impeccable. There's a lot of thought that goes into that. Um, so all four of us got together on, you know, designing that thing. We knew that it had to look right because it could, it could go really bad, you know? Yeah. And, and that, that bus was just like the perfect blind canvas. It's just, you know, just screaming for, for the right artwork. So you have to really deliver. And, um, and Hot Rod Jen, I, I don't know how well you know Hot Rod Jen. I don't at all. I just follow her on Instagram. And I know she, that she's also Jersey born and bred too. From the Jersey Shore. She's from Asbury. And, you know, so that's like her scene. She knows all, all of them. So we knew that it had to be Jen, you know, it had to do it. And so she came in and she spent uh, three days here at my place and got, got the job, maybe even four days, uh, but got the job done. But yeah, I mean, every brush stroke is perfect. It's fantastic. I didn't realize that you had that built beforehand before the Del Ponte's yeah. got involved. So you had it built. It was ready. It was turnkey. Yeah. Yep. It was, you know, at, at the normal level of Ida concepts builds. I mean, absolutely impeccable. Every nut and bolt was done. And that's when they came in afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. That is pretty cool. You know, anybody uh, out there that's listening can check it out on Rob's Instagram, Rob underscore Ida, or also Hot Rod Jen's Instagram. I think her handle's at Hot Rod Jen. Both of them have posted up there. It's absolutely insane. You mentioned something earlier. I talked about Asbury Park Circuit. You mentioned Circuit. And on the Classic 4x4 podcast, we talk a lot about community and culture. And there's a lot of deep culture here in Jersey Shore. Car and truck culture is alive and well. And over the past couple of years, you and your crew brought back, I don't want to call it a, a, a show because it's not a show. I don't want to call it a meet because it's not a meet. It's not like a cars and coffee. It's just literally a group of like-minded individuals that absolutely love cars and trucks and love the culture around it. And it has a lot of history behind it. And it's called the it's called the Asbury Park Circuit. And this was something that was done in the embrace car and truck culture in the 50s and 60s and the 70s. And it kind of went away for a while. And you and your crew brought this back about two years ago. So every Thursday night in Asbury Park, right on Kingsley, where it was, you know, decades before, there is this group of amazing people. And I, I got to tell you, it's not just like hot riders. It's not just like classic four wheel drive. It's not VW enthusiasts. It's Everybody comes together. You can have a worked up hot rod, 41 willies next to my Defender 110 next to another guy's slammed panel delivery van, you know, next to a, a square body, next to a VW bus, next to a bug. I mean, it's just everybody coming together. And I guess first off, What's the the history behind Asbury Park Circuit? And then at what point were you like a couple of years ago, we're bringing this back? Well, there, there are a couple of guys that are still around. Um, Joe Ersbridge and um, Ray Slocum and a couple of guys like that that created the circuit back in the 50s. Their car club, um, Hall & Gents, was a car club that I guess was started maybe in the early 50s or mid 50s. And they had some serious cars and they were, um, they were in magazines. I have copies of these magazines and they would have the cars photographed in Asbury park. They would hang out on Cookman, uh, or on ocean Ave. Um, but the reason why the, the circuit started, there was this big shipwreck. Uh, it was called the Morrow castle yeah. and this gigantic ship went on fire and crashed right by convention hall. So right from the Atlantic ocean up by this convention hall onto the beach, this gigantic ship was on fire. And I believe this happened in the thirties. When this happened, Cookman became flooded with uh, tourists, people coming to see the shipwreck. So there was so much traffic on ocean Avenue that instead of a two lane, they made it uh, two, two lanes in, in one direction. Mm -hmm. So it was one way, two lanes, perfect drag strip, right? So um, ocean, two lanes going, going north, and then you'd make a, a turn, and then they do Kingsley, two lanes heading south. So they're running parallel to each other, two lanes every way. So people would drag race from stoplight to stoplight, and everybody went there to race their cars, and it became the place to be. And um, so and it, and it started in the 50s, and it grew in the 60s and 70s were just madness from what I'm told. Um, I wasn't there, but I hear stories uh, from these guys 
I see a few pictures, but not much. You know, I haven't really seen that many pictures. Um, but I hear these wild stories. There was a custom car show, indoor car show in convention hall. And I understand that they had cars on two levels. So they would put cars in the, uh, in the service elevator, bring the cars to the top level. And there'd be cars on display on top and on the bottom, lots of wild motorcycles and choppers. And it was, it was a real scene. Um, and this but, was always on Thursday nights or was it just no, this every was night? Any, this was any time, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and so the car show happened once a year, but the circuit was whenever people wanted to be there, mm-hmm. which in my mind is how it should be now. Yeah. Um, so the reason it became Thursday nights is because I started to run the Asbury Park circuit Instagram page. Mm-hmm. So I would put up photographs that I would take or um, we have uh, a few friends that are always contributing uh, photographs. They're fantastic. Um we got we got to take a step back there. A few friends. I mean, these are yeah. iconic photographers, by the way. These aren't oh. just like a, these yeah. aren't just like a a couple people that with a camera. Like these are yeah. you know these are like of the level of Danny Clinch, right? Yeah, yeah. For, I mean, for, yeah. It's, for it's, those it's, of you it's, that it's, don't know who Danny Clinch right. is, he is like the most iconic music photographer out there. He was like he was the the touring photographer for Pearl Jam for decades. Like, yeah. if there's one picture that that everybody on this earth has seen probably doesn't realize is a Danny Clinch photo. It's the Tupac black and white. Yeah. So if anybody has seen the black and white Tupac photo, that is just legendary. It's iconic. If you live on this earth, you've seen it. That is Danny Clinch's photo. I mean, he just did for the Bruce tour that's going on right now. All the photos for that also has photoed my favorite brand, the Ava brothers, right? (laughs) This isn't just regular photographers. This is some pretty serious heavy players, right? So Danny has his, his uh, store is, is, um, his studio there is is right on the circuit. It's right Mm -hmm. on Kings. So we're parked right in front of his place. So you can go in there on, on a Thursday night or anytime and see a lot of these photographs that you're talking about. You could buy them, you know, they're, they're for sale. And, um, yeah, so he's, he's there, you know, and we have, uh, you know, just unlimited content. Um, and I don't want to list the photographer's names cause I don't want to forget any and then and leave anyone out. But if you go on the circuit page, you'll see all of their, all of their work and, and are tagged on them. Um, but when people would see these, these pictures come up, they'd be like, Oh, but I didn't know it was going to happen. So when is it, when is it, when is it? And I keep saying it's, 24-7. It's anytime you want to be on in Asbury Park with your car. That's when the circuit is. It's no, it's it's not one particular time. It's kind of just a destination to go anytime. Anytime you want. Grab a bunch of friends and meet up with them and get some pizza or whatever. Um, but it seems like people really want to hear a, a time and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a spot. So we say now Thursday nights, when the, when the weather is nice, show up. But really, show up anytime, like anytime, anytime you want to get a group together. Asbury is a great place to go to enjoy your cars. Um, tons of photo ops. So if you want to take a picture of your car and post it on social media, that's the place to do it. There's great lighting and there's great backdrops and lots of action. But there are you know, outdoor cafes and there's, there's bars and there's live music everywhere. Um, so it's just a great place to go. So you want to jump on your bike or in your car or your truck. Oh, Asbury, it's a great spot. So that's kind of what I was really hoping we would push is 24-7 car, car destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we are focused on um, on Thursday nights because it seems like that's, you know, it, 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 it's, it's good to have one time where people can really just, you know, get the most for their trip if they're going to be driving from far away. But uh, Tom Parks is, is a, a local guy. Um, and he was on the circuit back in the day in the seventies and eighties. He kind of grew up on the circuit. Um, and Tom knows everyone and he knows the history of everyone's cars and he's got great stories and he was there. Um, and there's one magazine article that was in hot rod or in car craft magazine back in like, I want to say about 1982. And, um, they covered the circuit and there's a, there's a great photograph of Tom. Um, you know, he was a, he was a baby at the time getting arrested. So there's a picture of him. His hands are behind his back and there's a cop and the cop's got a smile on his face. So I always thought this is, you know, a made up picture. You know, it was a fun. Yeah. Yeah. A fun posed picture uh, for the magazine. But Tom's like, no, no, it wasn't that at all. I was actually getting arrested. So he said, he said the cops came and they were trying to clear out, you know, because people were racing, doing burnouts and and causing hell. Um, So they were trying to clear out some of the crowd. 
So they grabbed Tom and they and they they put him in handcuffs. They didn't they didn't arrest him. They didn't you know charge him anything. But they just were trying to get people out of there. Um, but it, it made a great a great picture. So Tom is there every Thursday um, when the circuit's going on, and you can't miss him. He's he's a big tall guy and he's greeting people and helping people find parking spots and kind of you know just making sure uh, he's keeping law and order. You know we don't want to yeah. see people doing burnouts because if that happens. Eh, it's going to ruin it for all of us. You of know, we're, we're trying to, you know, the cops have been really, really cool with us. They have not been giving us a hard time at all. Um, and we want to keep it that way. You know, they, they, they like seeing the scene. As long as the scene remains civilized, we're not going to have a problem. If we start making jerks of ourselves, eh, they're going to kick us out. But everybody respects it. I mean, I've been going every Thursday night in the summer for the past two years. And and that's what amazes me the most about the Asbury Park Circuit is not only the history, right? The fact yeah. that, you know, it was this thing in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And then it just got abandoned as Asbury Park kind of turned in the 80s yeah. and 90s. And you brought this back. You know, it was the epicenter of Jersey Shore car and truck culture. You brought it back. And now... Even last year, it's not like it started out small. Like it just people started coming and it's it's a good amount of people. And it's people from all walks of life. That's what it with different types of vehicles. Like, like I said earlier, I mean, you can have the VW bus next to the the bagged delivery van next to, you know, your 1941 Willys, you know, pickup truck. And that's what's amazing, is it just brings all these different enthusiasts from all walks of life together into one place. And it's just this fun, peaceful. And yeah, you do have some pretty iconic photographers that are, that are coming out of nowhere. You know, obviously, you know, not everybody is at a Danny Clinch level, but uh, I will say Connie is up there in my book, you know, just because she loves my bulldog, my French bulldog, Carl. And she's always taking pictures of Carl in my cars, which she always gets a little soft spot in my heart. (laughs) Yeah. Steve uh, Starasi, he's, he's pretty amazing. And, 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 uh, and uh, Rick uh, Miranda, he's, he's amazing. Paul Domboski. I mean, there's a lot of guys oh, that are really just... Just talented, absolutely that. talented. And we, we, you get these people that just, like, they're part of the culture. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's yeah. not about their prominence or their presence. It's just, mm-hmm. we're here to have fun and enjoy it. Well, it's, it's the attitude. And, and there is definitely something in Asbury Park. I mean, if, if you're listening from across the country and you don't know what Asbury is, um, you know, that's it, it's known for the Stone Pony. And, and you know, Bruce kind of started his career there and and uh that there there's a, a long history of of music and art and culture but there's this something in the air in that town it, it just something magical in that air it it, it it sounds weird but when you go there there's just like this feeling of like cool and calm and everybody's like happy and and um that's what i love about the way the cars look and feel there compared to somewhere else. If they're in a, in a parking lot cruise night, it's different. Uh, if they're in a car show, it's different. If they're at um, a concours event, it feels different. There's something special about having cars there in Asbury Park on the circuit that I don't feel. In, and I've been to events everywhere. I've been to mm-hmm. events around the world, competed in all different types of races and car shows and, 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 and car events. There is something unique about that. And people say it all the time. They're not like, oh, man, the quality of car tonight is fantastic. What I hear is everybody's attitude is so good here. Like like everybody feels welcome. And people are kind of surprised, I think, because you are. You're welcome. The only qualification is bring a car that you love. Mm -hmm. That's it. And and I've, I've had people contact me and say, oh, I'm hoping that my car is nice enough next year. I'll, I'll try to bring it. I'm like, it's nice enough now. If you love your car, <laughs> that's all it takes. Like, that's it. There's no entry fee here. There's no judges. There's no trophies. There, there's no being judged. You're just going to come and, and enjoy it. So we started doing like special nights where we'll say, hey, t- next week is van night. You know, and it, it's not that everybody else is excluded and it's mm-hmm. only for vans. It just means if you have a van, Get it out that night. That's all. You know, bring that one. And uh, so we did that last year. And all of a sudden there was like, I don't know, 30 custom vans or maybe more. I don't know. I don't know. But we're talking about vans that probably haven't been there in a long time, you know, maybe 40 mm-hmm. years. And, um, you know, hippie vans and cool stuff, modern builds, 
early things. I mean, the whole range. So now we're kind of doing that every week where we're going to say, hey, it's, you know, Pontiac night. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're going to see some rare Pontiac show up. And then, uh, but there's been some amazing, amazing cars there, like really rare, special stuff, award-winning cars, cars that you've seen in magazines. And these cars are just showing up on a Thursday night. It's, it's just amazing. They come from far and wide too. This they isn't do. just like, you know, Jersey guys like you and I that are like, you know, you're in the town. I'm two towns south. Like there are people coming from other states that yeah. just, they want to feel on that trailers. vibe. Car, yeah. Cars coming on trailers and stuff and, and, and to hang out for three hours, you know, and that's it. And, and, and everybody loves it. It's great. It's what amazing. And it's like, it's like you said, the feeling, it's just a vibe is the only yeah. way to explain it. Like, like you said, nobody's getting judged. No. You know, you just park your car, you leave it open, you let people go in it. And like, you just walk around and, and yuck it up and, and talk to yeah. all these different people. And it's, it's, it's just fun, man. And mm-hmm. it, it just has a vibe. And that's really the only way yeah. to explain it. So, and I, and I hope everyone out there finds some time to come to Asbury Park, New Jersey on Thursday on a nice Thursday in the summer and experience it. You know, I don't do cars and coffees. I don't do shows like that's just not my, it's never been my thing, but every Thursday night after dinner, my wife and I head over to, to the warehouse. We pick up one of the trucks and we head up to Asbury park it, walk around with our, our little French bulldog, Carl, and and just enjoy the night. I mean, it yeah. also is kind of nice that you're literally a block off the beach, which is pretty cool. Too. <laughs> but yeah. 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 And and like the the sunsets are amazing, oh, you know, yeah. on Kingsley, and then the sun is going down, and the sky is like red. I mean, it's just it's amazing. So um, yeah, we uh, we're having a lot of fun with that, and um, you know, there's no need for it to have any expectations. It doesn't have to grow to a certain size or earn money, or anything. it doesn't have to do that because it's just an attitude. It's not a, a business. It's just. Come and enjoy it. It's for everyone. I love that. It's just an attitude. It's just yeah. a, it's a, just an attitude with a great vibe. And that's exactly what it is. And yeah. <laughs> I wish there was more of it out there. I've never seen anybody else pull off what you pulled off and bring this back. And, but I appreciate that. I'm, I'm so thankful because it's something I love being a part of too. Well, it's for all of us. So I'm not, I'm not trying to take any, any more credit. I'm just, I just want to participate like everybody else, you Mm -hmm. know? And uh, so if you bring a group of friends and I bring a group of friends, that's how it grows. You know, that's all it ever was. So we we started out by going to Del Ponte's for pizza first. Mm -hmm. We would drive our hot rods over there. We don't, you know, get pizza. There'd be uh, six or eight of us and then drive over to the circuit. Um, Now uh, it's a little more difficult to do that because parking (laughs) over in Bradley is really hard for that amount of cars. It's impossible. And it's a lot more than six or eight. I mean, it's a few yeah. hundred. <laughs> now it's hundreds of cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really cool, Rob. I, I really, I can't thank you enough for, for your time that you spent with us today. And not only talking about your amazing builds, we're absolutely enamored to have somebody of your caliber on the Classic 4x4 podcast, but really appreciated it talk about the Asbury Park Circuit. For all of you out there that don't follow the Asbury Park Circuit on Instagram, you have to. The handle is Asbury Park Circuit. Check it out. There's tons of cars. If you're in the area, if you want to make a trip, you have a reason to come to uh, to Asbury Park on a Thursday night in the summer, which don't get me wrong, there's a ton of reasons. There's a ton of great shows this year at the Stone Pony. We have See Her Now, which is like a 50,000 person festival on the beach, uh, which is actually... One of the co-founders is Danny Clinch. You know, we have that. So about Foo Fighters. Ah, Foo, Foo Fighters, Fighters, Fighters and who the else? Killers, uh, and the, the killers, killers are the headliners Beach this Boys. year. Yep. Beach Boys. I mean, there's Cheryl Crow. I mean, the list is. Nathaniel Rateliff. And I mean, a couple of years ago, we had Pearl Jam and Eva yeah. Brothers. Uh, yeah. Last year, we had Green Day. Green Day and Smashing Pumpkins last Smashing year. Pumpkins. I mean, Stevie this is Nicks. a no-joke festival. Yeah. Stevie Nicks was there. Billy Idol. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's anybody in there, but it's a massive festival. So there's more than enough reasons to come to Asbury Park. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, everybody out there, you got to make that trip coming to town, uh, especially on a Thursday, and and hit up the circuit and and feel the attitude and and the vibe because it's like nothing you've ever felt before with this car and truck culture. But hey, uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to crossing paths with you soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it very much. I'm absolutely honored to have a legend like Rob Ida on the show. 
Hopefully I get to see that 57 Suburban project where he surgically mounted the body of the 57 Suburban onto a modern Tahoe chassis. That sounds pretty cool. Also, if you find yourself near Asbury Park, New Jersey on a Thursday evening in the summer, make sure you stop by and check out the Asbury Park circuit. But stay tuned for our next episode where I discuss the good, bad, and the ugly of suspension lifts, lighting, tires, and winch 4x4 modifications with Mike Cashman and Travis LeBron from Mount Zion Off-Road. <laughs>